0: Alright, tonight, um, we're going to look at Colossians, the book of Colossians. A little bit. Parts of it, anyway. I'm going to key in on uh, a couple verses here in chapter 4. And um, we're still talking about the grace filled life. Probably a couple more sessions left in this before we move on. But um, tonight, specifically, um, what I'm going to call grace to the world. Just, just talk about um, what Paul has to say here about um, relating to unbelievers. And it's sharp and sweet, but it's, it's, it's uh, rich, of course. It's power-packed. Um, and this is good, good rubber-meets-the-road Christianity, um, which is what we've been trying to do all along here in this series. But... Uh, um, this this is more of that, and, and again, specifically in how we relate to unbelievers. I You know, I, I see this as... It's not that it hasn't always been our responsibility. It has. And it's not that it hasn't always been a challenge for various reasons, because it has. It always has. But in our situation in this country in our own context um, we, we're in a position where again I don't want to imply that it hadn't always been important but 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 just right now this is this is extremely important it's extremely important because for example we we commonly talk about uh, in some form we, we commonly talk about uh, the culture war that is that is taking place. Um, I use that terminology quite a bit, and uh, you you may or may not use that terminology, but we, like I say, in some form, we talk about it. You know, we talk about how how things are changing, and how how we are experiencing this this conflict with the world, and it's and it's in ways that. Um, uh, You know, and I'm going to try to be careful all the way through here, because because as I say, I don't want to imply that this hasn't, we haven't, the church has always been in conflict with the world. The world's been in conflict with the church. But in America, we've just had this situation where where Christianity has had such a a a powerful influence that for for a long time it has been basically um, socially acceptable and and even you know somewhat of a of a plus socially to be a Christian. And that is rapidly changing, uh, and, and as I was about to say a few moments ago, the, the conflict that is that is the way that it's playing out now is is in ways that 15, 20 years ago uh, we, we just probably wouldn't have imagined, um, or maybe we would have imagined it, <laughs> but 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 thought yeah you know, probably you know can't can't be real, but uh, but it's real, it's happening. So, this is going to require, um, in, in the way that we interact with the world, this is going to require um, our, to, to bring it down to a personal, you know, human responsibility level, this is going to, be, to require graciousness on our part, which means we're going to need much grace from the Lord, right? Uh, the only way we're going to uh, do what we're supposed to do um, and and be gracious is by obtaining much grace from the Lord. Now the Lord, of course, uh, is is an able provider and a willing provider, and His grace is sufficient. So, so it's it's going to be real important that we have that mindset to to um, relate to the world, interact with the world in in a way that is pleasing to Him and that will will honor Him. And of course, one way, and I'm I'm not going to have time tonight to go into a lot of this, but I'm just going to kind of mention this here. But one one way to do that, of course, is to to watch, for example, when we read through the Gospels and and the uh, and the rest of the New Testament for that matter. Uh, in the Gospels, watch how Jesus interacts with the world. You know, for example, you know, he I, I, I heard somebody mention this just this week, something I was listening to. But when when he sat down with the woman at the well, um, there was no uh, element of shock, surprise, or anything like that regarding her 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 situation. You know, he didn't act appalled, or, or you know, or any of that. Um, and he dealt with her very graciously. So things like that, obviously, very helpful because the Lord is a, is our ultimate example, and, and, and we learn from Him uh, how how to how to how to interact. Um, and then, of course, also others in the Scripture as well. You know, Paul, you look at Paul. Um, we haven't gotten there yet in our Sunday morning study, uh, but when we do, look at Paul uh, at the Areopagus in Greece, um, and that's coming up because uh, we're, cause we, well, in fact, yeah, we should be in, Lord willing, we'll be in Acts 17 this this week, so so that's, that should be coming up shortly, um, and that's one of my, you know, favorite sections there in, all, in in the book of Acts. But uh, you look at how Paul, and we've already seen some examples of how Paul deals with some pagans, and, and we'll see again there. And so we, we learn from that, how, how to deal graciously, how, how to interact with the world graciously. It's going to be extremely important. There's a... a um, video that I really wanted to show. It's only a couple minutes long, but I I, didn't, I wasn't able to get it together, but um, you know, I just didn't have time to get it on the computer and everything. But um, a couple years ago, I, I, I ran across this. John MacArthur had, had made an appearance on the Larry King live show, and uh, since I didn't get this together, I don't have this actor's name in my head. But um, it's an actor that, if if any of you used to watch Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, uh, he was the eldest of her children, young boy when that show first came on, probably 12 or 14 years old or something like that. And, you know, the show lasted a few years, so he grew up and he became the town sheriff and all that uh, on the show. Uh, and I can't think of his name. But in... Um, oh, and also he played in... Uh, The End of the Spear, did an excellent job in that movie, which which, uh, recounted the the, the death of the five missionaries in Ecuador. Um, And he played Nate Saint, who was the pilot. Um, You know, one of the missionaries was a pilot, and that was Nate Saint. And he played that role and did an excellent job of playing that role in that movie. But in real life, he's a homosexual. And he has from a couple of things I've read, become kind of a, you know, uh, I guess because he's he's had a lot of success and because he's likable and all that, he's become kind of a uh, poster boy type, you know, for the, for their movement. Well, he, he and John MacArthur appeared on Larry King Live together a few years ago. And, um, <laughs> and the video, the clip that I saw was really short, like I say, probably two or three minutes long. But, you know, MacArthur was explaining some things. And you see this young man who, by the way, seems to be very polite and, and all of that. But because of the disagreement, you see him. You can see that he's visibly shaken. He's getting offended. He's getting upset. And so, and MacArthur had said something along the way about choice, um, you know, choosing to, to do wrong. And and really he looked like he was almost in tears when it came back to him and he said, If I had a choice he, he said, I wish um, you know, I had a choice in this. I wouldn't I wouldn't be suffering all of the, the you know the the uh the trouble that I have, you know, all these years and, and and you know, I don't think he used the term persecution, but the same idea, you know, for, for being gay. And uh MacArthur I'm, I'm telling you, what, what an example of, of grace and speaking in grace, like we're going to see in a moment. But but MacArthur just defused that whole thing real quick. I mean, he didn't get in his face and say, "Well, you know, you you know, you're you're this or you're that," and do anything like that. He just said, he just said, "No, no, no, no. Let me let me," uh, and and he said, "Let me explain." And he he said, when, he said, uh, I'm not I'm not saying that you weren't born this way." MacArthur kind of went into this thing about we're all born sinners. He said, I have my own sins that I struggle with. We all do. um, But day by day, you know, I have have a choice as to whether, you know, he said something along these lines. I have a choice as to whether to just give in to those impulses or resist those impulses and and do what is right. But anyway, the the whole way he handled it, his mannerisms, his, his, um, his disposition, his manner of speaking to this young man, it was just, I'm telling you, it was gracious and 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 the young man who was as i said visibly shaken just i mean you you just kind of calmed down you know and and uh, and then he even went on to say well i have a lot of respect for you and what and what you do and this and that and that's the kind of thing that 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 we and, you know cuz it's real easy to just kind of like get back in people's face and uh and and not be so gracious so one of the things we have to do of course is remember how how the lord um treats us because i don't know about you i mean, actually i do because i know what the scripture says about you but um but you know it's kind of polite to say i don't know about you but but me i do a lot of stupid things and god is gracious and that's, that's another thing that you just see running through the Gospels. You know, the, the, the different disciples, apostles, doing dumb things, saying dumb things. <laughs> and, and, you know, how many times as you're reading through there do you think, boy, they, they should know better than that, you know, at this point. Um, but Jesus is always gracious in the, in the way that He deals with them. Well, that, of course, is... Uh, with the exception of Judas. that That is believers. But but you also see examples, as I mentioned a moment ago, one being the woman at the well, where he deals very graciously with unbelievers as well. In fact, you usually don't see like, like Jesus being really stern, um, coming across what we might think of as hard, unless he's dealing with hypocrites. And when he's dealing with hypocrites... You know the the religious crowd who who have this self righteousness and view themselves as above everybody else um, when he's dealing with them uh, it it gets pretty harsh that's right so matthew twenty three for example where he is pronouncing the woes on the Pharisees and the scribes um, it that's that's hard that's hard but um, for those who um like I said, that seems to be the exception. Uh, he, he's dealing with the religious leaders there, and uh, they are of course misleading people and doing a great deal of damage and so um, he has strong words all right now here's here's the passage I want to focus in on with all of these things in mind, and we're jumping in obviously we're jumping in the middle of a of a of a of an argument here I mean you know by argument, I just mean paul making a making a case. Um, a teaching, jumping in the middle of the teaching, so i 'm going to give us a couple other verses to help set the context, but, but let i 'm going to go ahead and read this first and we 'll come back to it again. But Colossians four five, and just these two verses, um, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And, and remember, like when you get to the, the second part of that, uh, that imperative in, in, in verse 6, um, uh, I'm sorry, not the second part, but just verse 6, second part of the statement. But you get to verse 6, he's, let your speech always be gracious. Remember there, he's talking about two unbelievers. Now, he's not, uh, we do need to be gracious to one another, but that's not his focus here. He's not talking about the church. He's talking about those outside, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But um, what he's doing here, uh, and, and this is just kind of FYI but uh, for your information here, but some, some kind of key words I was noticing going through Colossians, um, hope, wisdom. Of course, Christ is our hope, and he says that, you know, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Um, and he keeps talking about the mystery of Christ. Christ in us, and Christ, um, of course, um, as our Savior. Um, but And this theme of wisdom keeps, keeps, uh, keeps popping up. And he's talking about how to live. So, for example, just when you think, and the reason, of course, I'm pointing this out here, because once you get to chapter 4, verses 5 and 6... That that's a part of this theme, this ongoing theme. He's talking about how to live in this world. So just generally speaking, if you look back in uh, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, and I mean just, when I say general, I mean just living in general, living the Christian life. He says, chapter 1, verse 9, So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled. Now here here's... Here's Paul describing his prayer for them, but in this prayer, um, what we what we get here is how he wants them to conduct themselves. He's praying for them to live in a certain way. So, uh, he says, I pray for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk, and remember that, because that's going to be important, so as to walk in a manner Worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, the reason walk is important because this is a, a a common metaphor, especially Paul likes it. Um, but it, it's a common metaphor for 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 living and conduct. Common metaphor for conduct. Another, in fact, literally the the idea of the word is is walk around, walk around. So if you if, that, that kind of helps, you know, just picture life and your conduct as you, as you move around, as you, or you can say, as you go about. So, so how are we to move around? How are we to go about in this world? Well, Paul says, um, I'm praying for you that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. And Paul says in another place that it's always his aim to please the Lord. And, and that's something that should be ours as well. In life and conduct, always seeking to please the Lord. And that's why he prays for them, uh, that they have God's wisdom. Uh, in fact, he says, um, I, I want you to be filled with, with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that, because that's that's what's going to in, inform this this Christian life is is knowing the will of God uh, having God's wisdom uh, in these things and, uh, and 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 being full of the knowledge of God and of course all that comes through getting to know him right through through reading the word so again his his prayer for them is that they walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him. And he'll spell that out in the rest of the book. And then likewise, you look down in chapter two, verse six. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Walk in Christ. So, so there's just some kind of general statements about how to how to um, again by general I mean just how to live. Period. Generally speaking, live in this world. And then he goes in, in chapter three. He starts going into specific relationships, very similar to what he does. in in Ephesians, for example. So, uh, for example, if you look down in verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And then he says, children, uh, I'm sorry, husbands, verse 19, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for for this pleases the Lord. So here's one example right here. That he gives for the, of course, all of these things are pleasing to the Lord, but he tells the kids, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. So, uh, he wants us to have wisdom to please the Lord. Here's, here's the way it plays out. Fathers, verse 21, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, literally that's slaves. I, th- I think you could, uh, you could draw a, uh, Parallel though, or for, for application, you, we could just apply this to employees. Employees obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Alright, so he, he says how wives are to relate to husbands, husbands to wives, children to parents, fathers to children, slaves to masters, so on. Um, and then chapter four, verse one, he's still continuing in that vein. And now he goes shifts to masters, or again for application we could say employers. Employers, supervisors, maybe, treat your bond servants. Treat your employees justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You know, interesting, by the way, that, that the Lord cares about these things. And, and that um, he, he promises reward for those who uh, abide by them and gives warning for those who may not. Remember, <laughs> you also have a master in heaven, He says. All right. So in all of these things, and this is this is always um, I try to point this out a lot when we're going through these passages like this. This is how Christianity works out. This it, it's in relationships. This is how. Uh, in fact, I would even go so far as I have gone so far as to say, and I still think it's right. But um, Ephesians six, for example, you got a chapter on spiritual warfare, but all of that comes right after Paul has talked about relationships. And I don't think he's changed his subject, really. In other words, this this is how spiritual warfare occurs. We're, We're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting spirits, principalities and powers and so forth. Well, how do we do that, Paul? Well, here's how you do it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Children, obey your parents. Servants, obey your masters. Um, work for them just like you're working for the Lord. Masters, be fair and just with your servants, and on down the line. Oh, it's in these relationships that that our, that our Christian life is lived out. It's in these relationships that, that um, our service to the Lord occurs. Matthew 25, right? Jesus said, he talks about the day of judgment, and he says, you know, there's going to be some who come before me, and I'm going to say... I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. I was in prison, you didn't visit me. And they say, Lord, when did all these things occur? When did these things happen to you and we did not serve you? And he says, if you've done it, un- or have not in their case, if you've not done it unto the least of these, my brethren, then you've not done it unto me. And to the righteous, he goes through the same list and says, you know, You did. Clothed me when I was naked. You did feed me when I was hungry. You visited me in prison and when I was sick. And they said, Lord, when, when did we do those things to you? If you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. So this is how service to the Lord plays out. It's how worship uh, is, is lived out in this world. It's how spiritual warfare is done in this world. It's, it's, it's by means of um, relating. Being godly, like we saw in Titus, being godly in this present age. This is where the struggle is. You know, when when we get to the other side, the experience of sin is going to be removed. The hindrance of sin is going to be taken out of the way. The struggle, to, to, the, the, the quest, the struggle to be holy, to be godly, as Paul says in Titus, is now in this... The grace of God is training us to reject ungodliness and to be godly in this present age, to live godly in this present age. And this is how it works out in how we relate to other people. Now, now he goes specifically to um, unbelievers, relating to unbelievers. And in the minutes that we have left here, that's what I want to really focus in on for tonight. So so we're talking our, our main theme here, you know, is being full of grace, grace filled. Living the grace filled life. And we talked a lot about that. For example, you know, it's the idea of extending grace. The grace that God has, has um, demonstrated toward us, extending that to spouse, to children, to parents, to co-workers, to people at Walmart that you don't even know, whatever. And especially, right, to the, to the church, to brothers and sisters in the Lord. All right, so now... Unbelievers specifically. We go back to verse five, chapter four, verse five. Remember, walk here is our is our metaphor for um, for the Christian life. Oh, my whiteboard's gone. You took your whiteboard out of here, didn't you? Walk, walk here is the uh, is the metaphor for for conduct, conduct and living. So walk, walk around, go about. Paul says, in wisdom toward Outsiders. Outsiders. Now, that's why I say this is, this is specifically regarding unbelievers, because that's what he means by outsiders. In other words, he's not talking about, you know, people out in the yard um, and rather than in the house. He's meaning people outside of what? Hmm? The church. The kingdom. Christianity. Christ, you could say, because we're, because we're in Christ. They're outside of Christ. We're in the kingdom. There's, there's a lot of things, just like we were talking about the, the, the experience of sin being removed. A lot of things that, that um, we are yet to know experientially. Um, but we're in the kingdom. We're born again. We're in. We don't know the fullness of it yet. That, that comes at the last day, at the consummation. But we're in. They're out. I remember uh, some of you know Rex Blankenship. One of the best sermons I heard him preach when I was we were attending over there uh, at Springs of Grace was, uh, "Are you in or in, are you out?" And and I don't even remember now what passage he was he was he was coming from, but it was good. <laughs> are you in or are you out? So we're in. How do we how do we act? Toward those who are outside, do we build walls? You know, do do we take real estate and say this is ours, that's yours? How do how do we deal with them? Do we uh, act like some kind of elite club? You know, and and, and uh, say, well, you know, and just kind of just kind of put out the, you're not quite good enough to be in our, our little group. So, Paul says, walk in wisdom. That is, conduct yourself in wisdom toward outsiders. Making the best use of the time. So, what he's saying is, (coughs) while you're in this world, live and act with wisdom toward unbelievers. And he's going to go on to use the term being gracious, because our objective... Is to get the gospel to them, with the hopes that they will come to know Christ. I mean, in other words, we're praying for them. You know that God would save them, and we're uh, we're we're trying to get the gospel to them. So we don't want to do anything to damage that, if at all possible. That's that's our that's our objective. Get them, the, get the gospel to them. Get a, get an opportunity to uh, as much as 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 is possible win their trust enough to. Um, share the gospel with him or or something of that sort. Let me give you kind of my own paraphrase here just to to help get the sense of the the, uh, structure here uh, that Paul uses. And, and, And again, this is a paraphrase, but this is basically the way that it's put. Be sure that all of you are continually conducting yourselves with wisdom toward unbelievers. That's that's more or less what he's saying. Make sure that you're always conducting yourself wisely toward unbelievers. And you know what? If you and and I'm, I wish I were there. You know, it's like Paul saying, "I've not yet arrived." But but um, if 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 this was our goal, constantly. In, in other words. Let me say it this way. If 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 we are constantly striving for holiness, to be holy, then when we get in a situation of intense temptation, we won't have to at that moment <laughs> try to instantly become holy. The the reason that a man like John MacArthur can respond in a situation on live television in front of millions of people you know without knowing what that guy's going to say and respond so graciously in that instant is because he started working on it long ago before that if you know what I'm saying i guarantee you it had been hit being gracious was his focus was was in his was on his radar way before that scenario ever played out. So Paul says, you know, be all of you in, in, in the... the. It is plural here because he's talking to the church. So he says, all of you continually... You should be continually conducting yourselves with wisdom toward unbelievers. Making the best use of the time. You think of, like, sometimes when we do get in, in uh, useless... Confrontations, arguments, or whatever—you um, know. I'm, again, I'm thinking particularly with un- unbelievers. I think what a waste of time that is, so often. So Paul's saying, make make the best use of the time. Why? Well, for one thing, because this whole thing is urgent. Now, how many times have you have you uh, known somebody, dealt with somebody, um, and? Sometimes you do. Sometimes it does. You know, it does take some time to to get somebody's trust. Um, true enough. I mean, you, I mean, you can't always just you know <laughs> hit, hit them with the gospel the first time you meet or whatever. Um, sometimes it, you, you do. You have to. You, you have time. You build a relationship. You build trust. Um, but have have you ever? Maybe this has happened to you. Have you ever had a scenario where you where you thought um, that you did have that kind of opportunity with somebody? You just kind of didn't get around to it. And the next thing you know, you know, they're gone. They, they've either died or, um, just gone out of your life. You know, maybe they moved off or, or whatever the case is and you never see them again. And you kind of think, oh, I wish I'd, you know, I wish I'd spoke up when I had the opportunity. Make the best use of the time. So, so, you know, see the opportunities and seize them, um, with godly wisdom and as we're going to see in a second, graciousness. So, so just continually. It's not a, uh, a wait till it happens. You know, it's like like troops on a battlefield. You know, they don't they don't um, wait till they get out there and the enemy attacks before they start learning how to shoot the weapon and everything. They they do all that in training before they ever hit the theater. So Paul says, um, this is this is to be our our manner of life, walking in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. He goes on, and I, I love this, verse 4. Let your speech always be gracious. He says something similar in, in Ephesians um, four, 4, 5. Um, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But there he's, he's talking uh, among the church, but again, uh, primarily. But again, here he's, he's speaking specifically about our... Interaction with unbelievers, let your speech—literally, that's the word—the word in grace, salted with salt. So let your let your word, what you know, whatever you 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 you, when you speak, when you talk about, that's why it's translated speech here. Let your speech. Notice always. Always be gracious, and again, literally, it's 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 in grace, and let it be in grace. And I kind of get the idea here of, of uh, you know, it's like sopping a biscuit. <laughs> Dip that thing in the biscuit. You say, why do you say that? Because he's fixing to use a food metaphor with the salt, and he says, in grace, let your let your word be in grace. So it's like, first, first, you know, whatever you're going to say, baptize it in grace. Just, just like you do a good biscuit in gravy. Um, baptize it in grace before it even um, <laughs> begins to proceed out of your mouth. Continually. So this is, because uh, that's what he says, walk. The idea is always walking in wisdom. So this is the wise way to interact at all times. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So, you know what he's saying there? Let let grace inform you how to speak. You know, not, 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 not your past history. Not you know, because a lot of times people that we're dealing with, we got a history with them. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> that's usually where we go to, to get informed on how to speak. You know, I got a history with this person, and uh, you know, here's my opportunity to to get some shots in and kind of make up for some they got in on me. But but Paul's saying, let your speech be informed by grace. Baptize it in grace. Sop it in grace so that it's like, you know, like like that, I said gravy, but it could be honey too, couldn't it? Like that biscuit's dripping with honey, right? So so your speech is just dripping with grace. Grace full. Now, this little um, phrase... And I'm, I'm just going to spend a few minutes on this, and then we'll we'll be done. But th- this little phrase "seasoned with salt" has always been a tough one for me. Not not just here, but but in Matthew also, when Jesus says, "You're the salt of the earth," we, well, what does that mean? You know? And I've I, and I've heard all these explanations, just none of them ever satisfied me. You know? You know people talk about how salts a, a preservative and, and this and that, and so we uh, somehow we we preserve the world, I guess. I I don't know. But and none of that's just ever clicked w- with me. Um, and i'm not saying it may be right it just doesn't it just doesn't i don't know it just doesn't seem to be uh the, the main point i guess is what i'm getting at let me let me give you a couple of references here um, because um, I think you know the, the the writers of scripture use the language they use for reasons look at uh Leviticus chapter two and i'm going to give you a, a, a few about three verses here from the old, actually from the old covenant. All right, Leviticus chapter two, verse thirteen. You shall season all your grain offerings. Okay, here's here's an instruction. Grain offering, of course, you know the food offering uh, from the grain from the harvest. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. Okay. And, and I've, you know, I've read that a lot of times because in, in in, you see those instructions in the various places here and wonder, you know, why, 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 why salt them? Season your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. So it's required. The salt has to be there in the grain offering, God says. And He calls it the salt of the covenant. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. Interesting. Look at um, Numbers chapter 18 and verse 19. All the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you, meaning to the the tribe of Levi, the Levites, because they're going to be serving in the temple. I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring with you. Uses that term again, covenant of salt. All all of their um, all of the holy contributions um, from the children of Israel going to the Levites, and the Lord says it's a covenant of salt. And then look at um, Second Chronicles chapter thirteen, Second Chronicles thirteen verse five. Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt. Yet Jeroboam the son of Nebat, a servant of Solomon the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his lord. So there he uh, he he uh, he. Well, in the first passage in in, Le, in, in uh, Leviticus, it, it was just instruction for the people of Israel, you know, and how the how the priests are to offer the. Offerings with the salt. Then the second one we look at in Numbers it represented the um, his his covenant, his agreement with the, with the Levites there, and how they were to be taken care of. And here it's talking about David um, and and God's promises to David uh, with a covenant of salt. Now, what is in the few minutes we have left here? Um, just just speaking I mean just uh, your your own experience here just 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 thinking uh, I mean give me your own real answer here what what does salt do when you when you put it on food adds flavor yeah makes it taste better <laughs> that's what. amen now, that's pretty much what I was like, yeah it adds flavor it makes it taste better and I think and a lot of times when when the Lord would speak of the the offerings that were being Given uh, given by the by the uh, Israelites, he would refer to them as a sweet savor, sweet smelling savor. Um, so you got the you got the idea of a of a uh, in fact sweet smell. You know you got the idea of a of a, of a pleasing aroma and taste. You know savor savor. So I, you know yeah I think salt. In fact, that's, that seems to be the way that Jesus uses it in Matthew 5. You know, when salt, when salt has lost its savor, the only thing it's good for is to be trampled underfoot. So, so it's not good anymore for its intended use um, because the flavor's gone. It doesn't taste good anymore. Well, in these three passages that, that we just looked at, it certainly is tied in with the covenant as, as, a, as a part of, of uh, in some way, a symbol, somewhat like circumcision, but symbolizing the covenant so, so that all the offerings had to be made salted. That's why I find it interesting that Paul uses that term here. Salted, salted with salt so here here's I'm just gonna throw this out to you like I say you don't you know you're not you're not re- required to agree with with me here to uh, to get an a in the class or anything like that but uh but here's my uh my thinking on this i I wonder because Paul does this kind of thing in other places you know he uses imagery uh from the old covenant and the and the and the um sacrificial system and so forth uh you know, for example, he refers in Corinthians to the Gentiles uh, being a, a sacrifice, and romans twelve we looked at the other night and he talks about us being a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable. so he uses that kind of imagery uh, because he's saturated with scripture I mean that's why he does that uh, he, you know he's full of it well, I wonder here if, if the idea you know when you, when you're dealing with unbelievers let your let your word your speech that is when you're when you're talking to them when you're speaking to them. Let your speech be in grace, you know, sopped in grace, and salted with salt. And I wonder if he's not saying there, make sure that the way that you talk to unbelievers, the way that you interact with them, the way that you relate to them, is, is a, it's like, an, it's like an offering offered up to the Lord to be pleasing to him. And just as, you know, those offerings we just looked at that were seasoned with salt, since since that was, you know, the covenant of salt, covenant of salt, covenant of salt, it's it's a reminder, isn't it, of the of the covenant. And God's grace toward us. Well if that is the case, then 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 that's what Paul is that's the that's the imagery there your your the way that you talk with unbelievers should be a sweet savor to the Lord like like an like an old testament offering grain offering or other offering was salted and intended to be a pleasing savor to the Lord as part of the covenant relationship with him And the way that we deal with unbelievers should have that that same purpose as we're reminded of His grace toward us. So, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer. In other words, if you do these things, be gracious, conduct yourselves in a manner that would be like a pleasing offering to the Lord, that would be a pleasing offering to the Lord, then that will, that will inform you how to respond to people. Grace will inform you how to respond to people that you may know how you ought to answer each person any comments before we dismiss or better interpretation like i said that's not the only one there and and i'm willing to hear another one for sure all right all right let's uh let's pray and we'll dismiss father we do again thank you for your word and lord uh, thank you for this week and uh, as we uh, go through the remainder of the week we do ask for your wisdom and in uh, interacting as we encounter people in the world and help us to help us to see them for what they truly are which is uh, lost perishing and lord help us to have the compassion that we should have and act gracefully uh, toward them and lord we we Pray, as Paul did for the Colossians here, we pray for your empowerment, your, your, your grace giving us the wisdom uh, and the knowledge to do that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.